Section 9 of Love's Coming of Age. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Susan Russell. Love's Coming of Age, a series of papers on the relations of the sexes by Edward Carpenter. Section 9. Notes on the Primitive Group Marriage. One of the early forms of union among human beings appears to have been that of the group marriage which was an alliance between a group of men and a group of women. It had various forms, but rested in general on the fact that the women in primitive societies did not on marriage leave their parental habitation, but remained there and were visited by the men, by one man first, who would come with presents of game, etc., from the chase, and would afterwards bring his brothers or friends. Thus, in general, a group of brothers would come into relation with a group of sisters, in such a state of society, however, it is obvious that parentage would be very uncertain, and the terms brother and sister would not always have the stricter meanings which we give them. Such a group marriage was a penoyua, or friend marriage, of Morgan's North American Indians, which is also supposed by Marx and Engels to have prevailed at an early time throughout Polynesia. See Lewis Morgan's Ancient Society and Friedrich Engels' Ursprung de Familie, in later times, the group marriage became restricted in various directions. According to the genius of various races, marriage of cousins, for instance, being severely prohibited among some barbaric tribes, while among others all relatives in the maternal line were barred. Thus, ultimately, in some quarters sprang up a pair marriage, which, however, was only loosely defined, which had much of the old group marriage lingering round it, and in which the children still belonged to the woman, and descent was traced in the maternal line only. Under these conditions of society, the woman was comparatively well off, remaining as she did in her own gens or clan and among her own relations, and the husband being, as it were, a visitor from the outside, she was by no means subject to him. In fact, in order to gain access, he had to make himself agreeable, not only to her, but to her own family. She had the disposal of the children. There was no danger of their being sequestrated to her husband, and whatever little property she had, she could leave to them. To her was all the honour of ancestry. The husband, on the other hand, even if he knew which his own children were, could see little of them, and could not leave his possessions to them without alienating those possessions from his clan, which the clan customs would not permit. Thus, in marriage, he practically had to take second place. With the growth, however, of property and the sense of property, there came a time when the men could stand this state of affairs no longer, and insisted violently at first, in carrying off the women and locating them in their own tents and among their own clans. A change rudely recorded probably in legends like the rape of the Sabines and in all the later customs of marriage by capture. And with this change, marriage took on new forms. Women became the property of their husbands. They ceased to hold property of their own, in their children or in anything else, and descent was traced through the mouths only. In the patriarchal system, marriage was closely akin to slavery. Polygamy and monogamy were the two resulting institutions. Polyandry may perhaps be looked upon as a survival of the group marriage in a special form adapted to warrior races. But, as Engels remarks, both polygamy and polyandry, in any strict sense, can only be regarded as exceptional institutions, since, if they were general in any one country, that would imply a great preponderance of one sex over the other, unless indeed the two institutions existed side by side in the same country which notoriously never happens. As a matter of fact, in Oriental countries, polygamy is confined to the rich, and is so to speak a luxury, within reach of the few only. 
Thus it would appear that from the first in Oriental countries, the practices of polygamy and monogamy were intermixed. In Greece and Rome, polygamy ceased to be recognised as an institution, though concubinage in one form or another remained. The monogamic marriage became the legal institution and the woman was handed over to the man as his shuttle, was brought symbolically with his money in the marriage ceremony and had at first no more rights of her own than a shuttle. In the later times, however, of the Roman Empire, with the institution of the dowry and the power granted to women of holding property, together with the great facilities of divorce allowed, the position of the Roman matron became much improved. And, in modern European countries, the monogamic institution seems to have passed or be passing through somewhat the same stages as in ancient Greece or Rome. End of section 9